Those of you who were Gentiles that were not Jews before, you were separated from God, but now um, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, what an amazing thought that is, right? You were separate, but now you're in. God is gathering all nations to himself. He's putting all nations in the church, which is such a cool thing. We go on to verse 14. It says, for he himself is our peace. And this is it right here. He himself, Jesus is our peace. He is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Now, oh my gosh, what an amazing scripture this is right here, right? Hello, and welcome to the Orange County Church of Christ audio sermon. Today is week two of a seven-week series based on the book, A Crown That Will Last, written by Michael Burns. Our lesson today will be led by Jay Miner, who serves in the South Orange County Ministry. We hope you enjoy today's lesson. Let's get started. Hey, Orange County Church. My name is Jay Miner, and along with my wife, Tracy, I've recently joined the Orange County Ministry staff team, uh, specifically working with the South Orange County group. What's up, guys? And I just have to tell you, we are so excited to be able to be a part of the Orange County Church. Um, God has just made it so clear. He's opened up so many doors and, and answered prayers that we didn't even pray out loud uh, to help us know that this is where he wants us to be right now. And so I just have to say I'm so grateful for the opportunity. I want to say thank you again for um, allowing us uh, to join the team and become a part of it. So. We actually haven't moved all the way here yet. We're kind of splitting our time right now because uh, we have some God-ordained opportunities for growth and patience uh, in terms of selling our house in Sherman Oaks. So we're working through that. Um, uh, but I know that at the right time, God's going to allow us to sell the house and then come down to Orange County, put us in the exact right house that he wants us in. So it's all going to work out. It's just taking longer than I thought it was going to take, as with most things, right? Um, but in the meantime, we are kind of coming down on the weekends and starting to get to know a lot of people down in the South, which has just been so great. I just wanted to thank all of you for your hospitality and just your kindness in welcoming us here. So we're really excited to be here. I'm also very excited to be able to speak to you today. We are in part two of our series based on the book, A Crown That Will Last. Uh, it's a book by Michael Burns. It's a seven-week devotional book um, that is helping the church grow in its cultural humility and its love for one another. And I think it is an incredible opportunity for us as a church to really lean into this topic. With everything going on in our world right now, with everything going on in our country right now, the church needs to be a city on a hill. And I think specifically, um, the, uh, the, the churches and, and our fellowship are uniquely poised to be able to be that light on a hill uh, because of the diversity that we already have. But we do have to continue to grow in our understanding of how that diversity really works and our love for one another while we are growing in that diversity. Anytime that you think that you have arrived and that you are the perfect Christian or the perfect church, then you've probably lost your way a little bit. You always need to be growing and looking for the ways that God is trying to help you to become more and more like Jesus. So assuming a posture of humility for us as Christians and as a church, I think is such a wise thing for us to do. And it was really great to have Michael himself speaking to us last week and just talking about being an image bearer. Really understanding that God created us to reflect his glory and his love to the world around us. And stepping into that role and understanding that that is our purpose is reflecting the glory of God and being his image bearer. 
Um, and it's such a great concept for us. And I've, I've loved reading about that, thinking about that, and praying about that this week. Today, I want to talk a little bit about, um, so going beyond that, if, if that is our purpose to be the image bearer, then, then what does God then want for us to do? And many of us know uh, the, the Great Commission, the scripture in Matthew chapter 28. Don't shut down on me if you've heard this a million times. But I, I want to call your attention to something in this passage that, I, that will really help frame our discussion today. So uh, we all know this passage very well, or most of us do anyhow. And um, this is right as Jesus is leaving earth and he says, hey, listen, I want you to go and make disciples. And then what does he say? of all nations, okay? So that, that's where I want us to stop and think about this today, is that Jesus called us to go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't want us just to go tell, you know, the people about him that were in our own little circle of friends, but he wanted us to go to all nations. Now, why was that important to Jesus? Because this is something that is important to the heart of God. In fact, this has been in God's plan all along. When you go back to the beginning of Scripture, which Scripture is just one long story. You know, the Bible is not a collection of short stories with each individual moral going on. You know, it's not like Aesop's fables. It is one long, continuous story that points to this glorious, wonderful moment when Jesus becomes the sacrificial lamb for us. But as you look back through the Old Testament, you, you look at that through that filter. These stories that we're seeing are helping us to see uh, the coming of Jesus. It's helping set up the beautiful story of Jesus coming to be our Lord and Savior. And so when we go all the way back and we start talking about Abraham, so everybody remember Abraham? So Abraham was the father of our faith. We even got a song about him. Everybody know it? Here you go. Father Abraham. Hey man, he's, okay, we, we can do that later. But so we have Father Abraham and, and Abraham, God called him out of the city where he was and he, and he said, I'm going to take you into a different land. I'm going to take you away from your father's home and I am going to turn you into many nations and through you, I'm going to bless all of the nations. In fact, let's look at this passage here in Genesis chapter 18. God says, For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. And throughout the story of Abraham, you see this promise come back again and again that God made to him that the nations would be blessed through Abraham. Not just one nation, not just Abraham's family, but that all nations would be blessed through Abraham's family. And it's a beautiful thing to think that way. And then throughout the rest of the Old Testament, now, when you are, you know, kind of the, the chosen people of God and God has set you apart and you've got the law and all these things, sometimes it's hard to be mature about that and think like, okay, but, but what else does God want to do through this? And plus, when you're in the middle of a historical moment, it's hard to understand that it's a historical moment. It just feels like your life, right? Um, so the Israelites couldn't always see what was going on, but God was setting up this whole thing so that, that he could bring many nations all into one family. So that then when we get to Matthew 28 and Jesus is leaving the earth and he's, sending, he's giving his commission, he's giving his, his, his instructions to his disciples, like, I want you to go make disciples of all nations. It is based on this whole history of moving up to that. In fact, back in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, it says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains, it will be exalted above the hills and all nations will stream to it. And this is so great. And later in Isaiah chapter 56, he says, because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. 
And there's so many other scriptures in the Old Testament that we could look at talking about how the Gentiles are going to be brought in and all nations are going to come to the temple of the Lord. There's going to be a river uh, that comes out from the temple and it blesses all nations because that was the promise that was made to Abraham. So now, if you are not a biblical scholar or you don't even know this story or you don't know the people that I'm talking about, please don't get overwhelmed by this. Um, for, for those of you who, who have a, an idea of that story, all that will make sense to you. But if you don't, here's what I want you to hear from this, is that from the very beginning of God's story, his plan was to have a family made up of all nations. He wanted to gather all the nations into his family. He did not want people to be separated and divided because when we separate and divide, there is tribalism starts, competition starts, suspicion starts, hatred starts, and all kinds of bad things happen. And I know that you see that in our world right now. But God's plan was so much bigger than that. From the beginning, he wanted all nations to be together in one family. So when we get to Jesus and Jesus sends them out and says, go make disciples of all nations, that was what they were to do. Now, the church starts in Acts chapter 2. What an amazing story this is. I cannot wait to see this uh, either in, you know, playback in heaven when I'm there one day and I get to go back and watch the, you know, the live stream that one. But uh, it's going to be really cool because it's such a bizarre story. But there's this huge festival going on called Pentecost. And so Jews have come from all over the world, all over the known world at the time. They've all descended on Jerusalem for this festival. And then Peter stands up and um, there's an obvious God is there. It's pretty obvious. And so Peter preaches this message and says, hey, Jesus is Lord and Savior. And they're like, what? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. And, and 3,000 of them get baptized that day and they join the church and the church begins. And so all these people who'd come from all over the world, they stayed in Jerusalem because they'd found the Messiah. They had found the church. They had found their purpose for living and they were, they were becoming image bearers of God and they were reflecting him to the world around them. And it was, it was all nations, that's what they saw, that, that's what they felt like was that here's Jews from all nations and we're all here and we're all following the Messiah. It's amazing. This is really cool. But God had even a bigger idea than that. He wanted them to go to people who were not Jewish. And if you're not Jewish, then you are called a Gentile. And so God's plan was for the Gentiles to be brought into the family and into the church as well. And so in the story of the early church, you start to see how this happens. And I mean, I mean, Peter has to go uh, to, at this one time. He's like, I don't even think I can go in this guy's house because that's against the rules. Like Jews don't go in their houses and we definitely don't eat with them. We don't eat their food. God had to send him the same vision three times to convince him, no, this is what I want. I'm trying to tell you something here, Peter. And then Peter got it like, oh, the Gentiles are supposed to be in the church too. Oh, and so then, then you start seeing Gentiles pop up in other places. There's a city called Antioch. Antioch was a really diverse city. And, and soon then all of a sudden there start to be a lot of Christians in Antioch. Um, and a lot of them are Gentiles. And then there were some Jews that came from Jerusalem into Antioch. And the Jews are like, hey, actually, if you want to be a Christian, you kind of have to go the Jewish way first because that's how we did it. And so we were all Jews. And then now we're following the Jewish Messiah. So you can't just go that way and become a Christian. You have to become a Jew first, then we all follow that together. And so they, they, they were trying to communicate that. And so then Paul's like, no, 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 no. That's actually not what it is. You can jump around that. You don't have to be Jewish to follow Jesus. 
And so they have this big council down. They go back to Jerusalem and they have this big meeting about it. Can the Gentiles be Christians? How do we do this? And, and so there's, there's tension. There's cultural tension. There's racial tension in the early church among Christians in Antioch. This is the thing is that, is that God designed the church to be a place where we all learn to love one another. And we all learn, no matter what our background is, no matter what our, uh, our, our racial heritage or uh, ethnic background, anything like that, God designed us to be together in one family. And it's such an amazing thing. Now, I want to talk to you about some things that Paul said in the book of Ephesians. I love the book of Ephesians. It is such a great book. And this is going to set us up today to be able to spend some time at the foot of the cross and to be able to spend some time thinking about Jesus' sacrifice and why he came and what he accomplished when he came. We're going to look at several scriptures today, so I hope that you can stick with me. And again, if, if, you're, not, like if you're not familiar with the Bible, just like try to, keep, to, to see what verses really hit you as we go by. If there's some that don't make any sense, don't worry about that. Hold on to the ones that do make sense because those are the ones that God is using to try to communicate with you what he wants you to hear today. But the church in Ephesus, what an amazing place. So Paul had come through this big, bustling Roman city, right? And then he had kind of met some disciples there, and then he went off and he came back and he spent three years helping this church to grow. And then he left and Timothy took over the church, and Timothy was leading the church there. It's really cool to think about that. And then later, when Paul is imprisoned in Rome around AD 60, he writes this letter back to the Ephesian church. And it is just one of the most beautiful letters. I love this letter. And chapter 1, you could spend every day, all day in that chapter, and it would, it would constantly move you and inspire you if you're really thinking about what it's saying. It's really cool. But... As he goes through chapter 1, he's trying to communicate to them like God chose you. Since before the creation of the world, he decided to see you as holy and blameless in his sight. And then he decided to adopt us into his family and make us his sons and his daughters. We are his true heirs now. And it's a beautiful thing. And then he goes on and then he starts talking about Jesus and how Jesus is so amazing. And here's what he says in verse 22 in chapter 1. He says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus is the head of the church. This thing that we're all a part of, Jesus is the head of the church. And Paul's reminding them of that. Like, even when you have tension with each other, Jesus is the head of the church. He's the one who gets to decide what we do, how we act, what we say. And then he goes on in chapter 2, and he's, it's, oh my gosh, there's so many amazing things in chapter 2. But I want to jump down to verse 11, and I want to call your attention to something. Now, there are some scriptures uh, I call them uh, needlepoint scriptures because they're scriptures that maybe your grandma, or at least my grandma, would needlepoint um, and then put them in a frame and put them up on our bathroom wall or on, on the wall of her house. Um, and, you know, first, first Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, does not envy, does not boast, is one of those. But in Ephesians chapter 3, there's one of those needlepoint scriptures. And um, down at the end, you, you may recognize this, but he says, uh, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Have you heard that scripture before? And then he goes on, um, you know, I pray that you will be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And then 
10, he goes on now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We know these scriptures. If you've been around the Bible for any length of time, you've probably heard that scripture. And you've seen it on a needlepoint up on the wall, or you've seen it on a plaque, or maybe maybe it's you know, somewhere where it it's inspires you and, and, you re, and you remember it. And it's one of those things that you're like, oh yeah, that, that's really cool. Because it speaks to you in the moment, Right? But sometimes with these needlepoint scriptures, we have to go back and start to look at the context of what was written before and how did we get to where those, those scriptures were? How do we get to that idea and what is the important thing? And as we're going through Ephesians chapter 2 and chapter 3, there is this crescendo of thought and idea that starts to build and it starts to gather momentum and it start it is just amazing as Paul is just revealing this and then he's talking about this and then he's talking about this and he gets to this thing at the end and it's for this reason I kneel before the Father and that's what I want you to get today this is what I want you to hear today is what is that reason what was it that made made Paul fall to his knees and cry out to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. What was the idea? What was the concept? And so this is what I want to look at today. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, I want us to focus on the word you. So when he says you, who is he talking to? Well, let's go back and look at it. Verse 11, therefore... uh, Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth. So this whole passage and really this whole idea that's going to come after it, he's addressing to the Gentiles. He's not addressing it to the Jewish Christians. He's addressing it to the Gentiles. Guys, remember that those of you who were Gentiles that were not Jews before, you were separated from God, but now um, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, what an amazing thought that is, right? You have been brought near. You were separate, but now you're in. God is gathering all nations to himself. He's putting all nations in the church, which is such a cool thing. We go on to verse 14. It says, for he himself is our peace. And this is it right here. He himself, Jesus is our peace. He is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Now, oh my gosh, what an amazing scripture this is right here, right? So Jesus, he set aside the dividing wall of hostility. He was like, you guys used to be on different sides of this issue, but now we're bringing you all together. This dividing wall of hostility has has been set aside because Jesus is our peace. And look at this. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Okay, stop. One new humanity. His purpose was to create one new humanity. All these people groups in all of these places, all over the world, fighting with one another, empires taking over other people, the strong dominating the weak. And God brings them together and says, I'm going to make one new humanity, and that is going to be my family. Oh my gosh. Is that amazing? 
I love that idea. This is the new humanity. It's gathering all the nations into a new humanity. Consequently, you, you who? Who's he talking to? We're still in chapter two. We're just a few verses down and he hasn't changed the point of his conversation. So is this the you? I think it is. Is it still the Gentiles? I think it is. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So you used to be foreigners and aliens, but now you have been brought together because God brings all nations. He gathers all the nations into this one new humanity. Then verse one in chapter three, for this reason, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. And then it's like he stops himself. He's like, wait a second, I got to say something else. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation of our, as I've already written briefly. So he's, he's still talking about you. Guys, I got to tell you about something here. And then verse six, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. Boom. There it is. I love this. This is it right here. The mystery through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. We are members of one body. He gathers all the nations into one new humanity. What a cool thing. His intent, verse 10, his intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is it. His, his intent was that he would be able to say, no, that people can get along. The church can get along even if there are people on different sides of a cultural issue or a racial issue. The church can get along. Now, as a fun little extra credit activity, I don't have time for it today, but it's probably one of my favorite things in the Bible. I wish I had time. But you see here where he says that, he was, that God was going to make this known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms you ever heard that phrase before, the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms? If you said Ephesians chapter 6, you are right. So go over and look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Write that down. This is extra credit, um, extra jewel on your crown in heaven. It's going to be awesome. But look that up and see if you can see. So verse 10, who is he making it known to? God is making something known to somebody. Who's he making it known to? Whole other thing. I wish I had time for that. So this is it. God's gathering all the nations into one new humanity. Jesus' work on the cross was doing that, was allowing all of us to be brought in, was tearing the veil in the temple, was, was separating it all out so that we could come into the presence of God. And we are being built up into this temple, this church that we have, that we get to be a part of. We are being built up into this temple where God himself gets to reside. And it is a new humanity, and it is a beautiful thing. And then verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Remember the needlepoint scripture? It comes back right here. Because of all of that that we've been talking about, how Jesus was our peace, he destroyed the dividing wall of hostility, and he, he brought the mystery uh, out to be known that the church could get along together and that, that we could live together in one new humanity. And Paul says, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, who is the you? 
Maybe it's all of us by that time. Did he switch? I don't know. What do you think? Read it, study it, figure it out. Or is he still talking to the Gentiles? But he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, Paul just couldn't. He was like, man, guys, I got to tell you about what Jesus did. I got to tell you about this mystery. I got to tell you about the new humanity. It's unbelievable. And this is what we have the opportunity to bring to reality is a new humanity is people from all different backgrounds, all different nations, all different socioeconomic statuses. People from everywhere can come together in a church and love one another. This is why we're leaning into this because, man, if, if we don't do this, if we don't understand how to, to help the church become a place where all nations are gathered into one new humanity, then we are missing out on what Jesus died for. So how do we do that? What do we do? He goes on in chapter 4 and he says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. After he just told them what that calling was. He said, now live a life worthy of that. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. and Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So as we come right now into the presence of God and as we spend a few moments at the foot of the cross, I really do want you, don't, don't jump up from the couch, don't get on Facebook, don't do anything else. Just close your eyes and breathe. And think about what Jesus died for to create this one new humanity. And I want you to think about these questions. Ask yourself this. Is there anything that you need to be completely humble about? What about this? Who do you need to be gentle with? What about this one? Who set the limit of your patience? Was it you? We all have a limit. I can be patient up to a certain point, and then that line is crossed. But who gets to set where that line is? Is it you? And how gifted are you at bearing with someone? Are you able to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? So as you take these verses, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3, and you meditate on them at the foot of the cross here in our time of communion together, how can you help create this new humanity where God can gather all the nations together? So let's take a few moments, think about Jesus, his sacrifice, but his purpose in that sacrifice, and how we can really step into that this week. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity just to think about who you are and how awesome you are. God, we desperately want to be like you, and we want our church to reflect your heart and your idea. God, help us to be able to make this a place where all nations can gather and where we do create a new humanity that is different from the world around us, that is different from what we see in social media, that is different from what we see in the news, that is different from our neighborhoods. 
God, help the church to become the place that you want it to be. God, we thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. And it's because of him that we know that we have life. And so we're so grateful for that. Thank you for this time together this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and look forward to being with you next week. You can find more information about our church on our website, occhurchofchrist.com. You can also watch live services on our Facebook and YouTube pages, which are located on our website. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.